gonna have some more handouts for you later. So that's what it's all about. <laughs> some people come to church looking for handouts, so here you go. <laughs> oh, I'm just joking. Anyways, we've been talking about lament lately. Amen. Um, yep. First week we learned that uh, when you're going through something, first step you need to do is open your mouth. Keep talking to God. Keep praying. Keep, uh, keep that line of communication open. Last week we learned that it's okay to complain if you're complaining to God and not on Facebook. It's okay. If you take it to God. Take your complaints to God. He's the only one that can do anything about it. He's the only one that can change it. He's the only one that can lift that burden. Uh, so take your complaints and your frustrations to God. Um, and the next step in lament is asking with boldness. So Psalm 22 is the psalm we're going to be in tonight. Uh, we'll also be in a lot of other psalms. But uh, Psalm 22 is the, uh, the main one. Psalm 22, verse 11. It says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Again, I'm using the modern English for the, the psalms for this. So... Um, <coughs> I know we all, we like the King James, but when we use these to pray, we don't usually pray in King James English, so I'm sorry if that offends you, but it makes it a little clearer for, for some of these things. Uh, but anyways, so we, first we've got to turn to God, then we complain, and then ask is the next step. So ask with, with boldness. So, so far we learned that the prayer of lament starts with turning to God, keeping the line of communication open, and giving voice to our complaints making them known, saying them out loud. Uh, and there's value in both of these steps. But their purpose is to lead us to this step, which that purpose is to lead us to the next step. So there's four steps all together. But the whole point of going through these prayers and these, these psalms of lament is to, to get us to trust in God again in the middle of the, the things that we're dealing with. So in order to get there, we have to go through these steps. So this one tonight is asking boldly. So there are things that we know about God. We know that he loves us. We know that he's holy. We know that he's righteous. We know that he's, he's a just God. But we've had some grief. We've had some pain. And right now, the things that we know and the things that we are feeling, they don't line up. Um, we know certain things about God. But right now, it feels like Maybe he's not there. Maybe, I, I don't know, feel, like God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, but there's times when we feel like he has. But we know what the word says, but we feel something different. So this is the part of the prayer or the journey that we call on God to act in his character. We know that he loves us, so we call on him to act in that love. We know that he's just, so we call on him to act and to bring justice. We know and we're asking him to do what we know that he can do or to do the, what we know that he, he is or be who we know that he is. So, so far we've been asking a lot of, a lot of why questions, a lot of how questions. I got sheet here, 10 of each. Get you started and complaining. But we ask a lot of these questions. Whenever we go through something, we always say why did this happen? Why or how long is this going to go on? We ask these questions and you know, why have you forsaken me? Why can't I find you? How long will it be like this? All that sort of thing. And um, 
This part of the process takes us from the why and the how to the who, not the band, the who question, the who part of it. I don't know if you've ever been prayed for by someone or heard someone pray that just had a boldness, right? Have you ever experienced that? Or maybe maybe that's you. Uh, there was a guy at our church growing up, Peter, and um, my mother would say, it just when he's praying, it just sounds like he's talking to a friend. And he just had that kind of relationship, and he he led in prayer often. And there was just something about when he prayed, you believed that it was going to happen. There was another guy, uh, Brother Fudge, he was an old preacher slash police officer. He was a pretty hard guy, but when he he prayed, you believed it was going to happen. <laughs> he just had that boldness. I don't know if it's the police officer in him or the, the preacher in him or the deadly combination of both, but when he prayed, it was like, this is going to happen, everybody get out of the way. You know, you just believe because there's such such a boldness in it. It's a cool thing to be around, a cool thing to experience. Some people, when we pray, we, we sound like we're begging God to do something. Like, oh, please, God, if you could just do it. If, you, if it's okay with you, if you got time in your schedule, if you... Oh, please, I used to do... That's how I started to pray as a child. I'd be like, oh, please, please, please. Like he was going to grant my wish list or whatever. Um, and there's others that pray with a boldness. And when they do that, you just believe that it's going to happen. Hallelujah. They pray with a faith. Yes. And that's what we need to do in the middle of our problems. In the middle of our sorrow. In the middle of our, our pain and our sadness. Whatever we're experiencing. We need to pray with a boldness. Ask with a boldness. And the writers of these Psalms of Lament, that's how they pray. They pray boldly. They prayed unashamed and unafraid, almost like they were commanding God to do something. We know that we can't do that because He's God and we're not. You know, He's not our servant, we serve Him. But there's something about being so confident in Him and confident in His character, knowing what He's done and knowing what He can do that makes a person pray like that with boldness. And the longer we walk with God, the closer we should be with Him. The closer we are to Him. And there's a certain level of boldness that should come in our prayers from being with him so long and seeing him do so many things and, and following him for so long. The writers of these laments, they put everything on what God has promised to do and what he, he said he would do. So if you're like, you know, I feel like you're not there, God, but I know that your word says you would never leave me and forsake me, so I need you to move right now. I need you to be here right now. I need to feel your presence. That kind of thing. Yes. And so they, they put everything on what God's promised to do and what he said he would do. And when we ask and pray boldly in our prayer of lament, it takes us from the questions of why and how can these things happen? Why are these things happening? And it directs us to the who. Who do we trust? Yes. Who are we praying to? Who are we turning to? And one of the boldness Oh, sorry. One of the boldest why questions ever asked in the Bible is Psalm 22 and 1. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from delivering me in my roaring words of distress? Or in the King James, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why, why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? And it may sound familiar because Jesus, when he was on the cross, he quoted that in Matthew 27 and 46. It says, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
In Psalm 22, it's a little different than most laments. It gets right down to the nitty-gritty pretty quickly. It just starts out, God, why have you forsaken me? He just goes in blazing. <laughs> starts off pretty quickly. And, um, in the first two verses, he's already turned, and he's already complained. He just jumps right into it. No. He goes right into the agony. My God, my God, why, has thou, why have you forsaken us? Forsaken me, sorry. Why are you so far from delivering me and from my roaring words of distress? Verse 2. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime and you do not answer and at night, but I have no rest. He just gets right into it. But in this, in this song of lament, there's a, a bridge. We're going to call it the, the butt bridge. This will probably stick in your head. You can call it the yet bridge if you want. But this psalm is, is neat because David says these things right off the bat. First two verses. He's come, he comes in pretty, pretty upset, pretty strong. Right after he says these things, and he's hurt. He's got pain. He's, he feels like he's been abandoned by the God that he's been following and serving and, and doing all these things for and, and with. And... Um, he turns his attention or his focus from himself and what he feels and what he thinks. And right after this, he turns the focus of his prayer onto the character of God. And all hinges on the word, but, or some translations that says yet. Um, but the word but or, or yet becomes the bridge that leads David from, from complaint to bold request. We go from keeping the lines open, voicing our complaints, and then turning our attention to who he is. Verse 3, it says, what does it say in the King James? It says, yeah, but, but thou art holy, O you who inhabits the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not put to shame. Just jump. He's like, God, why have you forsaken me? Why is all these things happening? Why are you not answering my prayer? And he says, but you are holy. He turns his whole attention from what's going on in me, what I'm feeling, what, how I'm, you know, how things are happening in my life. And he goes right to God, you are holy. Yes. You inhabit the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you and you delivered them. They cried to you and they, you, they were delivered. They trusted in you and, and, and happened. And then the next couple of verses, he goes over a little bit of the, the mocking that he's facing, what's causing him to feel like this. It's giving him the pain and the grief, verse 6 to 8. It says, But I'm a worm and not a man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All who see me laugh me to scorn. They sneer with a the lip. They shake the head, saying, Trust in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, seeing his delight is in him. It goes over this. It's like, oh, why have you forsaken me? But you are good. You are holy. He's like, but I am a worm, and a, this is what's people are saying things, and you know, they're laughing at me, they're sneering at me, they're shaking their head, making fun of me. But then he brings the butt back. Verse nine. It says, "But you are he who took me out of the womb. You caused me the trust while I was on my mother's breast. I was cast." On you from birth. You are my God from my mother's womb. 
As you read this, you kind of get a picture of what's going on. David is wrestling with this. He's going back and forth a bit. He's like, God, why, why are you here? But I know you're good, but um, this is still happening. But you are my God. And you've been my God my whole life. He's going back and forth a bit. And his deep pain and the sense of being abandoned that he feels, he reminds himself of who God is and what he's done. And then he drifts a little bit off and starts talking about what people are saying and, and doing and the reactions he's getting from people. He drifts off a bit, but then he comes right back to where God is because David has anchored himself in God. And even though he may drift and he may wander and he may have some questions and some doubt from time to time. That anchor keeps him from going too far. And he starts to go off a bit, but you are my God. He starts to go off, but you are holy. And you see it through all of his psalms. He just kind of goes off a bit, but he always comes back. He's anchored in who God is. And even though he may drift a little bit here and there and, and have some questions and doubt from time to time, that anchor pulls him back. God, you've abandoned me, but you've been my God since my birth. And he's anchored himself in who God is. And that's what keeps him going through the pain. That's what keeps him through the pain. If we allow ourselves to rely on what we feel in any given moment, we walk away the first time something bad happened. The first time we felt abandoned or alone or the first time things didn't go the way that we thought they would or the way we hoped they would or the way we planned that they would. So we need to be anchored in Jesus and who he is so we don't drift away like that old hymn, anchored in Jesus. And because of this anchor, because of this relationship that David has with God, we, we will see him pray boldly. He will start to ask boldly, even though he has these questions and frustrations he uses these complaints that we talked about last week he uses them as bridges that lead him to God and to God's character and if when you're struggling with with grief and questions and doubt and sorrow and pain and all of those fun things remember the butt Nemo touched the butt remember the butt but you are my God. I'm feeling like this right now, but I know that you are my God. I'm feeling like this, but I know who you are. And that is where, this is where pain and belief coexist. And this is where and how we have the confidence to ask with boldness. Even though at the moment I'm battling with something, even though at the moment I'm struggling, even at the moment I've got sorrow and grief and frustration, but I know who you are. Some versions say but, some say yet. The but or the yet means that I choose to keep asking God for help, even though right now it hurts. Right now it's raw. Right now it's painful. Right now it's upsetting. Yet reminds us that we don't have to wait for the pain to go away before we ask for help. We don't need to wait. A lot of times we just will we'll just deal with this myself and then, you know, I'll be fine. Just ride it out and ignore it so long and never deal with it. Too many times we don't want to turn to God until we get it all figured out and we deal with it ourselves. But this this yet or this but 
shows us that in the middle of pain and hurt and chaos, we can turn to God before the storm stops, before the pain ends, before the wound heals, before we figure it all out, before we deal with it like we, we want to or think we should. Don't let the pain of your circumstances stop you from praying. Don't let the frustration stop you from turning to Jesus. Don't let the disappointments quiet you. Let yet slash but be the bridge that leads you to pray with a new level of boldness. So David prays with boldness, and we need to we need to do that. We need to pray with bold requests. So now that David has he's turned his focus towards God, he's kind of drifted a bit, going back to God. Well, this, and then he went back to God. He's got his focus on God now in verse 11 to 21. It says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls encircle me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths against me as a praying and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All oh, my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted inside my body. This is pretty poetical pain he's dealing with. Heart is melt is like wax melted inside my body. My strength is dried up like a, a pot shirt. My tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you have sent me toward the de- dust of death. For dogs have en- encompassed me. The assembly of the wicked has enclosed me. Like a lion, they pin my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. Stare on me. They part my garments among them and cast lots for my clothes. That may be familiar. It says, but do not be far from me, O Lord, O my help. Hasten to my aid. Rescue my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild ox. Answer me. So he tells God all these things that are happening. And then at the end, he prays these bold (coughs) prayers. He makes four requests. He says, do not be far from me. Be not far from me. Then he says, hasten to my aid or help me quick. I need you to move now. I need something to happen quickly. Rescue my soul from the sword and save me from the lion's mouth. It's a pretty bold request for a guy that's, where are you? I don't even know where you are. I can't even feel you. I don't know what's going on. This extremely confident Request. He's not like, well, if you feel like it, if it's, uh, you got a free time today, if uh, you can clear your schedule, maybe you could do one of these things. He prays these prayers boldly. And um, if you have kids or if you were a kid, does everyone, maybe a long time ago, but there are times when you're, you want something. Maybe your parents, maybe you want to go to a friend's house or get something at the store, but you're a little afraid to ask. Because generally the answer's been no up till now. <laughs> and there are times when my kids will just kind of like stand there and try to push each other like, you ask, you ask, no, you ask. Right, because they don't want to get in trouble. There's two of them that will do that. The older two, 
We'll just stand there awkwardly and look. Annabelle is like really good at just looking. Without just, just look. And I'm like, what do you want? And then you get more frustrated because it's not, just tell me so I can tell you no. Just tell me, just ask. <laughs> but Lucy, she'll just ask or she'll just do it herself. <laughs> but there, there's two ways of doing it. There's like, I'm going to ask or there's, well, I don't know. I don't know. Just kind of lurk around and hope they can read your mind. So there's two ways that we do this when we pray. We can, we can ask boldly or we just kind of, well, I don't know, beat around the bush for a bit. and Maybe God will just do it without me asking. When we pray, we need to be bold and ask boldly. And David reminds himself of who... God is and what his character is like. He says, you are holy, you are, you know, you've been faithful, you've done all these things. And that combined with his desperation causes him to pray boldly. And we tend to pray differently when we are hurting or desperate. Right? Is anyone else? Amen. Pain has a way of reminding us of how much we need God's help. It reminds us of how powerless we really are. Everyone is tough. And invincible until you get that report from the doctor. Right? Everyone, you know, thinks that they're strong until their world falls down around them. Until that person dies unexpectedly or come home and that person that should be there isn't there. Or the job is gone. Whatever you built your identity on, all of a sudden it's taken away. Everyone's strong until something happens like that. And we're never more aware of how frail and weak we really are until hardship comes our way, until something happens that we can't control or fix or fight our way out of. And as weird as it sounds, as weird as it is, that's one of the blessings of suffering. If we allow ourselves to lament, we allow lament to lead us Correctly, the different trials of life can be a platform to remind ourselves that we need God's help. I've preached a message before, um, probably don't remember when I first got here, but a crutch or a catapult, and how every situation that we go through, we can either use it as a crutch and make excuses, or this is the way I am because this happened to me, or we can use it as a catapult, something that launches us into the presence of God and brings us closer to God. Like, like me, I, like my father wasn't there most of my life. And I can make excuses and be like, well, this is, I'm this way, I'm angry because this, um, I do this because, because whatever that, because that happened. Or I can use that and say, God, your word says that you, you are a father and I can use that to have that relationship yes. with God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank like, lament can become a place where we celebrate our need for the help of God. One of the, the judgments against the church of Laodicea, if you remember in Revelation 3, was that they were too self-dependent. They thought it was all about them. And Jesus told them that he would spew them out of his mouth. So that's good. You don't want to be that person. So we either, we either need him or we don't. We need a... Be honest. We either need him or we don't. We, we know we do. But when we pretend that we don't, we're not doing ourselves any, any favors. 
We pray these types of prayers, they become more than just asking for things. These types of prayers of faith are anchored in what we believe about God. Have you ever been around people that pray with boldness? It's contagious. You start praying like that. The point of praying these prayers isn't just to have a need met. It's to rely on God. David was saying, I can't do anything about this. I can't deal with this. I've got this pain and I can't do anything about it. But I know that you can, so I'm relying on you. All right, I got Oh, go right here. Go ahead control. One of you guys pass these out. That's um. What do we ask for? So in these psalms um, of lament, 50 plus psalms, there are uh, many different requests that the writers bring boldly to God. Just like there's a lot of different circumstances that we can experience that cause pain. Um, You know, what hurts you may not hurt me as much. You know, what? um, There's things that I've gone through that you haven't gone through and things you've gone through that I haven't gone through and... Uh, all these different things. There's different circumstances that bring pain and there's different levels of pain that we feel. And every person deals with things differently. So just as there's all of that, there are as many things that we're asked for in these types of prayers. Um, the requests in the Bible are as different as the people that we have here tonight. They're not all the same. There wouldn't be that many of them. We could have some cut out. And that's what makes them special. The writers of these these psalms, we run out of papers. The writers of these psalms, um, they lived where we live. They were just down to earth people that had things going on. Oh, sorry. So the, the writers of these songs, they lived where we live, and they, they went through things, and they experienced, and they felt things that we, we feel. And it, it's good that there were so many different requests, because each one helps us know what to pray or do in, in different st- seasons. Uh, as we study these, we can use them as models for our prayer, and we can, uh, we can group them into nine different prayers. As you can see on these papers that I didn't print enough of. <laughs> the first prayer that we can pray boldly is, Arise, O Lord. There are seven psalms of lament that call on God to arise or to rise up. Psalm 3, 7, 9, 10, 17, 74, 94. But these, <laughs> I'll get it to you after. These, um, these psalms, they, they plead for God to fix what's wrong. Like Psalm 10 and 12 says, Arise, O Lord, O my God, O God, Lift up your hand, do not forget the humble. When we, we have faith and um, we know that if, if God does something, anything, if God just does anything, that the situation will change. Yes. That's basically what this prayer is. God, I, don't just, I need you to do something. I don't know what it is. I don't know what needs to happen. I just need you to get up and do something. I just need something to happen because I know that if you just move, if you do anything... The situation will change. So we have faith when we pray like that and know that if God does something, anything at all, that the situation will change. And praying like that is, is asking God to step in and to move. Basically, it's just saying, God, do something, please. 
I, I've got nothing left. I've got, I can't do anything with this situation. I just need you to do something. And I trust you to do the right thing. I just need you to do something. Arise, O oh Lord. Lift up your hand. Don't forget to help. Just do something. Just get up and, and move. That's what, you're, what the prayer is. The second one is grant us help. When we suffer, it severely affects our self-sufficiency. Because we all like to think that we're self-sufficient and we're tough and all that. We talked about a few minutes ago. But it's hard to be self-sufficient and rely on only you when something tragic is happening. When a disease comes or you get the news, it's hard to go through that on your own because you, you need a doctor, you need nurses, you need your family, you need people around you. You need, you know, you, you're never going to go through it on your own. You need other people. And when things are going well, it's like, well, I don't need anybody. But when things happen, it really throws a wrench in those plans. You need to admit that you need help. And when you're in pain, you need help. And we're always needing God's help. We know that. But when we're in pain, it makes it much more obvious. It's, oh, wow. This, yep, I need help now with this. I need something. And that's why um, the Psalms lament, as you read through them, they're filled with cries for deliverance, for rescue, for strength, all those types of things. Like Psalm 60, verse 11 and 12, is give, a, give us help from trouble, for the help of man is worthless. Through God, we will do valiantly, for he will tread down our enemies. Give us help from trouble. Just give us help. Just do something. Just give, we need your help. We can't do this. We need help. Give us help. When we pray and ask for help, we're not only asking for help from an all-powerful God, but we're reminding ourselves by asking God for help that he can be trusted, that he's going to help and do the right thing, and that he's still God and that he's still good. When we ask for help, you don't ask for help from people that you don't trust Right? Hey, want to come help me do this? When you know they're not going to show up or they're going to make a mess of it, you're not going to ask them for help because you know you can't rely on them to do what needs to be done. So when we ask God for help, we're reminding ourselves that He can be trusted and that He's still good. The third one is, remember your covenant. When people pray like this, we're not saying that God has forgotten. So we know that God doesn't forget. But it's a way to ask God to honor the promises that he's made. He's given us promises in his word. He's given us promises um, maybe in prayer, maybe in prophecies or whatever. So when we pray that God remember, you're not saying, oh God, I, I'm just in case you forgot. Because you know he didn't. You're saying, God, I need, there's this thing that you said would happen. And I, it would be really good if that could happen now. Right? It's a way to tell God that you believe and trust in his word. And it fights against um, what we can see with our eyes. And it clings to what the word says and what we know to be true. When we pray and ask God to remember, we are connecting what we are dealing with currently in the middle of our struggle. We're taking it and we're connecting it with his history of being faithful. It's kind of what David said. You know, you've been good. You've delivered. I need you to deliver me. Remember, in verse, Psalm 25 and 6, it says, Remember your mercies, O Lord, and your loving kindness, for they are from old. Remember, you said you'd be merciful. You said you'd be forgiving. You said you'd forgive me if I came to you. Remember, remember that and, and do it, please. Fourth thing is, let justice be done. This is one of the 
If you read the Psalms, there's some of these that are just dandies. Like smash their teeth out. All these. <laughs> if you read them, they'll stick out to you. <laughs> if you're looking. But Psalm 83 and 16 to 18 says, Fill their faces with shame. Not so bad. That they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded in trouble forever. Forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord of the Most High over all the earth. There's a fancy word that people use for these types of psalms. It's imprecatory psalms. It's a psalm that asks for justice to be done. For God to punish the enemies of the prayer, person praying, or the enemies of of God. When we face injustice, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes. When you see things being done that shouldn't be done, mm-hmm. right? right? We read some of those last week. There's some of those in the complaints. But when you, when you face injustice and your focus is on the glory of God and not just your pain, it's okay to ask for justice. But if you're just like, well, my feelings are hurt, smite them. Give them leprosy, scurvy, I don't know. Give them something. Make them miserable because they hurt my feelings. That's, that's the wrong attitude. That's not going to work. And God's obviously not going to do it. <laughs> but in this, this one we read, it's like remember, remind them of who you are, right? Well, fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name. His, David's, or the writer of this song, their focus was on the glory of God. So they're praying that you know, they would be brought to a place where they could um, seek the name of the Lord and, and turn around. Um, lament gives us the words and language for talking to God about unfairness, abuse, and mistreatment so we can boldly ask God to move in justice. The fifth thing, um, question, is don't, or prayer, I guess, don't remember our sins, which is, may sound strange. Um, but sometimes... I'm not saying all the time. Sometimes the torment, the pain, and the reason for our lament is because of our own sins. The things that we've done and decisions we've made and people we've hurt and it's come back. not saying every time. I'm not saying if you're going through something, it's your fault. Don't hear me wrong. But sometimes it is the case. David lost a baby because of a decision he made. Right? It wasn't, you know, Absalom was a different one. He died before the decision Absalom made. It wasn't David's fault. But the first, the other one was because of the decision that David, David made. And sometimes the pain and, and, and torment and all these things that we experience is because of things that we've done. And Psalm 51, in my opinion, is one of the greatest psalms. And it was written as a direct result of David sinning and being caught with Bathsheba. Um, some of these psalms, it's because of the sins of one person. Some it's because of the sins of a group of people, like the nation of Israel. Um, Lamentations, we'll talk a bit about that if, if we get there. Um, it says, when we, when we pray this kind of prayer, that God wouldn't remember our sins, we know that he doesn't forget things. We've already gone over that. But we're simply asking that we wouldn't receive the punishment that our sins require. It's asking for mercy and grace and forgiveness. Psalm 51 and 1 says, Have mercy 
On me, O oh God, according to your loving kindness, according to the abundance of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Or according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Psalm 79, 8-9 says, Do not choose to remember our former iniquities. Let your tender mercies come swiftly to us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. Deliver us and purge away our sins for your name's sake. Don't remember the things we've done. Forgive us. When we own, when our own sin is the reason that we lament, it's good to know that we can still ask for mercy. It's one of the things we can ask boldly for. Um, the sixth thing is restore us. There's a lot of psalms that ask for restoration, like Psalm 80 and 3. It says, restore us again. O oh God, and cause your face to shine, that, and we shall be delivered. The big picture or theme of the entire Bible is restoration. It goes from Genesis to, to Revelation. And this type of prayer and lament is looking forward to this future reality um, of restoration. It could be you could pray for restoration in your soul, um, in your marriage, your family, your church, your country, whatever. Restoration. Or it could be the final restoration, heaven, a permanent removal of pain and, and brokenness. It's asking God to bring spiritual healing at any level in any area. Um, seventh thing is don't be silent, listen to me. The more we study the laments and psalms, the more we see the theme of God, don't be quiet. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? Why does it feel like you're hiding? The silence of God is mentioned often, like Psalm 28, 1-2, it says, To you, O Lord, will I cry, my rock, do not be silent to me. Lest if you were silent to me, then I would become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift my hands toward your most holy place. If you've ever felt like God is being silent, you can call out to him for help. Keep praying, keep talking, keep listening, keep going. Say something like Psalm 86 and 6. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to my plea for mercy. It's okay to ask the bully God it. Hear me. God answer. God, I need you. The eighth thing is teach me. Pain is good at getting our attention. Right? Even think physically. You don't realize your toes are there. You know they're there. You know it. But until you stub one of those guys on a table leg, you weren't thinking about him at all. But now that's all you think about. Right? You take your knees for granted until you get arthritis. Right? Pain draws attention something. That's what it's for. Let your body know something's wrong. Something happened. What are we going to do? <laughs> and it can be a wake-up call. Emotional and spiritual pain aren't any different. It can be a wake-up call. It provides perspective. You may not even realize there's an issue until something happens. Oh, wow. I need to deal with that. It can be a unique opportunity for spiritual growth. Like I said, Earlier, everything we go through is an opportunity to know God better and in a different light. Yes. I probably 
would never have got to know God as my father as well as I did if I hadn't lost mine. You'll never really know him. You'll know that he can heal. But until you need a healing, until he touches your body and you're healed, yes. it's not the same. Amen. You never really know him. You know he's a friend. The stick's closer than a brother. But until all your other friends turn their back, their back on you, it's not the same. So you experience that pain of being alone and he being the only one there. You know that he's a rock and he's a strong tower. He's your strength. But until you feel weak and you need that like never before, it's not the same. A lot of songs of men ask God to teach us. Psalm 143 and 10 says, Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. May your good spirit lead me onto level ground. Psalm 90 and 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Psalm 86 and 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I will walk in your truth. Bind my heart to fear your name. So when we are going through pain, one of the things we can pray is teach me. What do you need to learn from this pain? What does he want to teach us through this? Pain gets your attention. It's a good time to learn. Sometimes praying like this will help us not to waste the trials that we're going through. We need to learn what we can because I don't want to repeat the lesson. In Bible school, many years ago, it feels like I don't even remember now. There's one of the, one of our teachers said something like along the lines of, "Sometimes you're going through a test. It seems like God's quiet." And he said, "Well, if you're in a class and you're writing a test, generally the teacher's silent." When God's silent, maybe he's trying to teach us something. It feels like he's not answered. Maybe he's trying to teach us something. So one of the things we can pray is teach me. I want to learn what I'm, I can learn here. I don't want to go through this again. Ever feel like you're just going through the same thing over and over and over sometimes? Maybe we're not learning. <laughs> we're just repeating the grade. I don't know, repeating the class. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. We need to pray to God, teach me, teach me what, teach me what it is that you want me to learn so I can move on from this. I don't know. Not always, but sometimes. And then the last thing is vindicate me, which is a nice fancy word. But often we have the desire to defend ourselves. Have you ever been lied about or accused or treated wrongly or, or anything like that? There's a desire that rises up in us. To get the truth out there and set it straight. Especially now that everyone's got the online thing. Well, I can get my story. Always. Everybody's ripping everybody apart. There's only ever one side of the story, right? <laughs> when that happens, you feel like, I need to set this straight. I need to you know, tell them what actually happened. Yes. And usually we either get bitter... We take it in, get upset, let it stew, um, or we fight back and attack the other person. Uh, neither one of those 
is the right thing to do. Neither one of those really works. Bitterness definitely doesn't. The saying is that bitterness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die, which is how it works. Is it doesn't do anything. If you're bitter at me, it does not affect me at all. It only affects you. Amen. So, Amen. sorry. <laughs> and generally, fighting makes you look bad or makes the situation worse. It doesn't really ever, I don't know, as fun as it is sometimes, it doesn't really fix the problem. So the other option is to let God take care of it. Let God work on our behalf. Psalm 35, 25, 23 to 24 says, Stir up yourself and awake to my vindication, to my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord my God, according to your righteousness. Let him not rejoice over me. The King James says, judge me. Which when we hear judge me, we think, oh, you've been judged. But that's not what it means. It means rule like a judge on my behalf. You know the truth. Make it right. Rule like a judge on my behalf. It's all part of trusting him. In the New Testament, we are invited, even commanded, to ask boldly, to pray boldly. Hebrews 4 and 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why? Where does this confidence come from to come boldly where does you know why should we bring these prayers or these requests to God we ask him because he understands the verse before that verse 15 says for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin the new living says the high priest of ours this high priest of ours understands our weakness for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. He understands. That's why we can come to him boldly. That's why we can pray boldly. That's why we can ask these bold requests. Because he understands. He's been through it. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He knew grief. And the New Testament often connects his actions with some of the Psalms of Lament. We've already read a few of them. When Jesus was upset with the injustice and the perversion of the temple worship in John 2 and 17, he quotes Psalm 69 and 9 and says, zeal for your house has consumed me. When he talked about being betrayed in John 13 and 18, he quoted Psalm 41 and 9. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And then on the cross, he quoted Psalm 22 and 1. Why have you forsaken me? He lived a life with lament. As part of it. One of the most famous verses in the Bible is Jesus wept. Shows us that he experienced this grief and sorrow and these things that we experience. He knows the feelings of injustice. He was innocent. He knows the feelings of hypocrisy. No need to get into all that. We all know that. He knows false accusations. He knows what it feels to be physically weak. He knows what it feels to be tempted, to be betrayed, to feel abandoned. He knows all of these things. And we can come boldly to him because of this. Songs of sorrow and the man of sorrows meet us in our sorrow and pain. They invite us to ask with boldness and confidence. They move us from the why to the who. Why is this happening? How long will this go on to who God is? reminds us of who he is and asks him to act on it.
So like we mentioned at the beginning, when you hear someone um, or see someone praying with boldness, there's something contagious about it. You think if, if they can pray like that, so can I. And it will catch on. It starts with one person getting a hold of it. There's nothing as powerful as seeing someone you know who is battling something, that's struggling, that's going through a trial, and seeing them stand boldly in the presence of God, praying and claiming his word. It's powerful stuff. I got a picture, an image of my friend going through a divorce. Only one on the altar, praying. I, I can't get it out of my head. I see it all the time. That impacted me so much. Because I knew he was hurting. But still, he was leaning on God. And the men asked us to pray and to ask boldly. We have permission to lay out our pain before God and ask him to move and intervene. So whatever you're battling, whatever you're struggling through, keep praying, keep asking. There's nine different things you can ask if you want, if you need help. But move on from asking the why and the how to asking for help. Call on him to act. Ask for grace, mercy, provision, whatever it is that you need. And by asking, we move on to the next step, which is the last step, which is choosing to trust, which is where we're trying to get in the whole thing. Moving from the pain to trusting him. All right. I hope that was clear.